This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. It is always hard to start a conversation on gun safety in this country because it seems like we just keep reliving the same scenario. As we know, we started out with two horrific mass shootings in California this year. In January alone, there were 40 mass shootings with 60 deaths. Gun violence is now the leading cause of death among children in the United States. But one of the places where we have seen some incremental progress is here in Washington. In the last session, we saw new laws on things like ghost guns, high caliber magazines, and open carry. And much of this was driven by the Alliance for Gun Responsibility. Our friend Renee Hopkins is the CEO of the Alliance, and she is here to talk about new legislation in this year's session. Renee, hello. How are you? How you been? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. And um, I'm really happy to be here, happy to talk about what's happening this year in Olympia. And I think pause to do a little bit of celebration might be too strong of a word, but it was really incredible last year that we finally were able to move um, high capacity magazine off of uh, out of the legislature into the governor's desk for signature. We've been working on that for more than six years, and the way that we've been able to change the makeup of our state legislature since our beginning, which has been almost 10 years now, to really have true gun violence prevention majorities means that we can pass more meaningful legislation. So uh, everything we do is important, but I just think that there's a really um, an important thing to, to pause and note that because of the people in Washington state, because they are voting for gun violence prevention champions, um, we're able to continue to do more and more. Um, and it feels less incremental than it used to. I'm glad that you made that point. And in fact, that's really kind of where I wanted to jump off here, um, because, you know, as I mentioned in the intro, it does often feel like we're having the same conversation around guns in this country. But, you know, as you say, you know, we have made some progress here in the state and even at the federal level. Uh, since we last spoke, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act was passed by Congress. This is the first piece of federal gun legislation in a generation. And then just last night in the State of the Union, uh, President Biden pushed for a ban on assault weapons. Um all of this in concert with, you know, the things that we've mentioned that got accomplished here in the state. And I'll just ask you, do you feel at all in your years of work on this, like the conversation around guns is shifting at all? Oh, for sure. It ha it is shifting and it has shifted. Um, I think a couple in a couple of ways. One, it, it is not the third rail of politics anymore. It hasn't been for voters for a long time. Um, and finally, in some states, and we're starting to see some at the federal level, people are realizing that. People do vote on this issue and people vote for um, people who are good on gun violence prevention and common sense gun laws. Um, we've proven that in Washington state, but it's true across the country. And I think it's a really important thing um, just to acknowledge. Um, so the conversation is very different. Like I said, uh, six years ago, there is no way we had any hopes of passing high capacity magazines. Um, or an assault weapons ban. And here we are having passed uh, high capacity magazines last year and working toward passing assault weapons ban this year. Um, so that is, is very different. I also think the way that we think about gun violence um, is hopefully continuing to shift and is getting much broader than what we read about in the paper. How do you mean um, by that? Well, it is still true that while mass shootings have been increasing, 
Uh, mass shootings do not cause the the most amount of death um, as far as different types of gun violence. Suicide by firearm is still still makes up between 60 and 65 percent nationally. In our state, that's more like 75 to 80 percent, depending mm. on the year. Um, interpersonal violence that dramatically disproportionately impacts um, black and brown young people um, it makes up for more uh, death than mass shootings do. And so I think, um, you know, the mass shootings, the things that really hit um, hit the headlines, um, they're important um, to be paying attention to and doing everything that we can to stop them. But understanding that gun violence is a lot more complicated than just mass shootings. I really appreciate you make, making that point. Uh, and I think that it's something that maybe people are really starting to understand that this goes well beyond these uh, horrific and very high profile mass shootings and speaks to really kind of a more systemic problem. Um, and ideally, you know, Washington state, I think, is kind of leading the way on this in a lot of uh, in, in a lot of fashions. I mean, as I mentioned in the intro, expanding the ban on open carry uh, restrictions of ghost guns. You worked very hard on the uh, the ban on high capacity magazines. Uh, we raised the purchase age for assault weapons. So let's turn to this year's session and talk about some of the bills that the alliance is supporting, a number of which I, I will just point out are also priority bills for the Washington Indivisible Legislative Tracking Team. So the first one I want to ask you about is Senate Bill 5078. This is sponsored by Senator Jamie Peterson. This would allow uh, victims of gun violence to sue manufacturers here in the state. And uh, I will just note that this is uh, prohibited under federal law because of something called the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act or PLCAA. But this does not apply to states. So just kind of walk us through what this would look like. What would a lawsuit of, of this nature look like and who would be entitled to bring it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um the 5078 would authorize the attorney general to investigate suspected violations of violations of firearm industry members duties and also to enforce actions against such industry members it also provides a private right of action for individuals who've suffered harm as a result of a firearm industry members acts or omissions um, so it's really important to understand the set of duties and standards that the firearm industry members will be expected to adhere to and they include requiring firearm industry members to take reasonable precautions to ensure that they do not sell or distribute firearms and related products to straw purchasers and gun traffickers. Uh, we know that all guns start as legal guns and uh, they enter um, and the guns that become crime guns um, really enter this the system through things like straw purchase purchasers through gun traffickers and also through um, through stolen firearms. Some of the other um, industry standards that they will be expected to adhere to is um, that they may not manufacture, distribute, import, market, or offer for wholesale or resale or retail sale a firearm or related project product that is designed, sold, or marketed in a manner that is targeted at minors or individuals who are legally prohibited from purchasing or possessing firearms. Um, and then finally, uh, the any of these violations will be categorized as, as a public nuisance. And that is where it opens the door for the AG or individuals to pursue restitution for harm. So it's a very technical and complicated <laughs> Uh, a bill, but it is, um, we're feeling really excited about the potential um, of this bill and the impact that it could have 
um, on victims of of um, gun violence throughout our state. I mean, it is technical, but it seems also rather straightforward on, on its face. I mean, any violations of the things that you talked about there would be then cause for either the AG or, as you say, individuals even to potentially bring suit. And just to be clear, these are civil lawsuits, not criminal, correct? Correct. Correct. So New York State, is my understanding, was the, the first in the nation to pass one of these gun industry liability laws. How has it been working there? Yeah, in New York, it still is new, um, but it's definitely being used. There are about four cases currently in New York that are in um, at some point in the in the process. And of note, um, which I think is really interesting, um, is is the city of Buffalo is actually um, suing. Uh, against both ghost gun companies and traditional gun manufacturers, distributors, and dealers um, for the public nuisance um, around deceptive marketing, um, oversupply of the market, and failure to control and tr- or train dealers and distributors. So that's going to be a really interesting one to watch. It's not an individual. Um, it's actually a municipality suing. Is it my understanding that the Sandy Hook, some of the Sandy Hook families have also successfully sued under this statute? Um, there has in Sandy Hook, they have successfully sued, but they did not have this law in their state. So um, but I think what they've been able to do is sort of shine a light on what is possible by changing some of the state level statutes. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because Sandy Hook is, of course, in Connecticut, not New York. Uh, do we know if there are other states considering similar legislation? Could this potentially be part of a, a national movement here? It is already becoming part of the national movement. We'll be the fifth, fourth state um, to pass it, and we anticipate that many others will follow. Are you are you optimistic about the bill's chances? I am. I absolutely am. I mean, well, it's that- as common sense as it gets. It's looking at the supply side. It's not having an over reliance on our criminal legal system after the fact, um, and it just it makes really good sense. And the gun industry is the only industry in our in our country that has these kind of protections. The other bill that I want to get your thoughts on and uh, to talk about its uh, you know, chances of passage is 1240. So this is the assault weapons ban. Uh, this was uh, sponsored by Representative Strom Peterson. We know that assault weapons have been used in almost all of the deadliest mass shootings in the last decade. These are weapons of war. They have no place on our streets. I get very angry uh, when I talk about this. Um, but this legislation is stalled here in the state in the past. So what if you could talk a little bit about some of the obstacles and how you're looking at its chances for this session? Yeah, I think it's very similar to what I was talking about with high capacity magazines last year. Um, both of them, I think, had the same sort of political heft in terms of getting them across the across the line. And it really is because we have elected more and more gun violence prevention champions who are willing to push uh, bigger legislation. And, you know, sometimes bigger means the impact um, that we think it will have on reducing gun violence. Sometimes bigger is in a political sense. And I think both assault weapons and high capacity magazines have been politically very heavy lifts. And that has shifted because, um, because the makeup of our leaders in Olympia is different. That is your work, gang. Uh, And I just want to say really thank you to everybody who is watching, listening right now, who has worked on behalf of these uh, candidates who are working for more responsible gun laws in this state. You and your work 
absolutely make a difference here, as Renee is uh, is highlighting for you. So uh, in this case, eight states in the District of Columbia have at least partial bans on assault uh, weapons. What have we learned from these states, both in terms of how they managed to pass this legislation and also uh, its effectiveness? Yeah, well, the biggest thing that we've learned is that um, so far the assault weapons bans are held up um, through the court process, through the courts. So um, we do not worry um, about this. We know it will be challenged, um, but we are feel like we're on very strong constitutional ground, given that it's been upheld in so many other states. Um, and we know that states with stronger gun laws, including assault weapons bans and high capacity magazine bans, have lower rates of gun violence, period. Period, indeed. Yeah, I think that is really ultimately what we're after here. We want to save lives with this legislation, pure and simple. Uh, the next pair of bills, and speaking of saving lives, uh, 1143 and 1144 would require a permitting process and require safety training and a 10-day waiting period to buy a firearm. Um, states with licensing laws that require an in-person application have 56% fewer fatal mass shootings. So what would this new legislation require here? Yeah, it's really simple. I mean, think about getting a license to drive your car. <laughs> we get licenses for hunting for many different things. So this is a similar sort of approach, um, which would require, again, a 10-day waiting period, which is really important. We know, especially with suicide um, by firearm, it's often a very in-the-moment decision. And so having to have sort of a, a waiting period um, is, can really save lives. Um, it also will require training, um, again, in order to have the right to own a firearm or responsibility um, to be make, to make sure that you know how to safely use and store that firearm. So very, very common sense. Um, and do, and just sort of doing this for the purchase of all firearms. I think we like to make these distinctions between the kinds of firearms and definitely um, there are firearms that, that cause more damage in, um, in certain situations. But really what we want to do is reduce the, um, the access to all firearms um, by people who should not have them. Yeah, I appreciate you making that point, because I was going to mention um, there currently is a safety training requirement and a 10 day waiting period. But that only applies to semi-automatic rifles in the state, right? Right. And so it, this is really just extending that to the purchase of all firearms. And what we've learned from states that do have um, licensing or permitting uh, structures is that it really does um, decrease all kinds of gun violence. Um, it's both suicide uh, homicide, unintentional, it reduces all types of gun violence. And we know um, in states where there have been historically licensing or permitting uh, structures that have uh, rolled those back, that gun violence actually in has increased as a result. I, I will just ask you again, and obviously this is unknowable, but this one to me, in my mind, seems like just the most common sense of all, at least in terms of its political possibilities. Wh how are you handicapping this one? Do you think it has a good chance of passing? Um, I think I do think that we will be moving and I expect we will be moving all three of the bills that we've talked about today. Um, they all really address gun violence from a different perspective. And we know with the public health epidemic that gun violence is, it requires uh, multiple strategies um, to actually have an, a longstanding impact. Um, so our expectation is that our leaders will move all three of these bills. Um, the larger permit to purchasing bill 
um, and then the liability bill as well. Yeah. Are there other bills that you'd like to bring to our attention that that you and the Alliance are, are keeping an eye on for this session? Yeah, um, there is a really great bill by Representative Callan, and I'm going to forget the number, my apologies, but I can get that over to you, um, that would require uh, educational materials um, be provided to, through the school districts, every school district around the around the state regarding safe storage um, and the risks of not safely storing firearms and prescription drugs. Um, we think that that's really important to, number one, educate people about the risks of having um, unstored or unsecured firearms um, and prescription drugs in your home. Um, and the school districts seem like a really great way to make sure that we're getting that information into as many hands as possible. Um, so that might sound like something little, but I think it has an, the opportunity to have a profound impact. Um, and then the other thing I will mention, which will be part of the budgeting conversation, but the governor has $20 million um, in the budget for funding for the Office of Firearm Safety and Violence Prevention, which is a statewide office um, that both gathers information and data about gun violence throughout the state, and then is also responsible for investing in community-based programming. Um, we know especially uh, the community-based interventions and interruption programs uh, that, are, that are run by people on the street, uh, really uh, understanding how gun violence is impacting um, particular communities. And we're asking for an additional 10 million, so a total ask of 30 million um, that would be designated for the office. And I would just note um, another thing that your viewers can uh, can hopefully feel proud about. Washington State was the first state to have a statewide office of this nature. Other states are now following, um, but it's a really, really important, both in terms of making sure that we are investing um, sustainable dollars in programming that we know will in particular save young black and brown people. This kind of brings us full circle, doesn't it, to where we began our conversation, and that is really about changing the conversation around guns. Uh, and of course, I will always take an opportunity to call out my representative, Lisa Cowan, who does such extraordinary work. And I think there's just such a wonderful delta on this between her work on education and uh, and gun safety. Um, at this point, I, we're going to turn to our executive producer, Kat Pipkin, to get some updates and calls to action. So Kat, over to you. Hey, and before um, before I get to the actions, what I want to mention is the bill that Renee was talking about is House Bill 1230, uh, sponsored by prime sponsors Lisa Callan uh, from the 5th Legislative District. And that's actually passed out of committee and is on rules for a second reading. So that's looking good. Um, there may be an action uh, ultimately needed um, when it comes up for a vote, but we will let people know if so. As to actions today, so on 1143, the firearms purchase and transfer, we have a sign-in pro-action. The hearing's actually later this afternoon, but you can still sign in uh, and submit written testimony up to 24 hours after the hearing, which is today. If you miss this, if you see this in a couple days, you can still contact your legislators and let them know what you think about this bill. On Senate Bill 5232, we have a sign-in pro-action. The hearing is tomorrow. Um, and again, you have another 24 hours to submit written testimony. Third thing, 
for today is we are asking and encouraging people to consider attending the Moms Demand Action Advocacy Day in Olympia. That's Monday, March 13th, next Monday, um, as well as their statewide meeting, which is tonight. So probably most people won't be able to do that, but we'll include both of those items in the show notes. Over to you, Stefan. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And Renee, uh, as always, just so wonderful to see you. Thank you so much for everything you do. Sincerely, uh, a heartfelt thanks on behalf of everybody in Indivisible. And, you know, thank you for taking the time to join us today. No, absolutely. And thank you and thank everyone that's involved with Indivisible. I mean, it's just absolutely um, amazing what you all have been able to really make possible in Washington State. So thank you for your partnership. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.